Good morning, everybody. Snow on the ground in Boise, Idaho, but that uh, never stops our guests today from getting any work done. I'm Nick Coleus, an editor for Bodybuilding.com. Here we also have Heather Eastman, who has been on stage as a figure competitor, but also run a long-ass distance or two. A couple long-ass distances, yeah. And our guest today is our only three-time guest on the podcast so far. Uh, someone asked me the other day, so you're having a, you're having Gethin on again? And I said, you know, the guy just keeps doing interesting shit. What can we, what can we say? You've got a fetish for that, huh? <laughs> Chris Gethin, welcome again, once again to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I didn't have to drive far to come here. Yeah, exactly. That's a little bit of snow won't hurt anyone. I'm assuming you just ran here with your camelback. Straight from the workout, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, now, when, when we last talked with you, you had just finished something you'd been training six months straight for. It was the full Iron Man trained all through the summer heat and then did the full Ironman in, in Coeur d'Alene. And we were talking about, oh yeah, trail ultramarathons are pretty cool. I turn around and there you are all signed up, ready to go, training for a race, putting training videos out there and did an ultramarathon just a few weeks ago. Yes, I did indeed. I needed something to keep me occupied and that certainly did that. <laughs> well, why, why, why an ultramarathon right off, right off the heels of an Ironman? Why, um, why that challenge in particular? Uh, same challenge for, you know, the Ironman. I wanted to do something extreme again to show people that, look, you know, you can be muscle bound and, mm -hmm. you know, you do these things. And uh, partly because of that, I wanted to prove to people and show, uh, you know, you can take these impossibilities, quote unquote, into a possibility. But I needed to be occupied myself because it's very easy for you to cross into the abyss after you've completed something, an event, uh, because then where do you go? You know, you've put in so much time, structure, discipline into something. And then when you complete it, you know, usually an event is like the worst day of my life. Right. Uh, so I have to think of something pretty quick to fall into. And I thought an ultra marathon would be pretty good because a lot of the training for that is off-road. And I much prefer to run off-road than, you know, putting my knees and hips and everything through, uh, you know, the hard surface. And it gets a little boring, you know, you can kind of lose yourself. Whereas if you're out in the wilderness, it's interesting, you know, it's meditative, meditative and uh, kind of relaxing at the same time. So, uh, you know, it, it's strange because when we're in the gym, you know, we're increasing our cortisol levels, we're amped up, we're pumped up, where we're trying to do the opposite when you're doing something endurance-based, trying to stay calm, keep mm -hmm. the cortisol levels down. And I think running outdoors in the trails is perfect for that. Sure, absolutely. And the, and ultra marathons also have kind of an adventure narrative over them. Like it's not an adventure race, like you're not out in a canoe, like a, like a quote unquote adventure race, but yeah, you're out in the mountains, it's unpredictable terrain, it's not predictable um, it's not streetscape. So, so tell us about the race that you chose and why you chose that one. I chose uh, one called the Frozen 50. Uh, because I thought, wow, this is held when there's supposed to be a lot of snow down. It's supposed to be icy conditions. I thought, well, that's going to be a great challenge because like whenever I hike or last time was run up Snowdon, which is the highest mountain in the UK, I've always Legendary done it in the winter. Peak, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've enjoyed doing it in the winter because I've just appreciated the simple things after that so much more like a warm cup of tea mm -hmm. or, you know, like a dry clothes or a couch Things like that. Right, that you, close. Yeah. Exactly. You're exactly right, though. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, well, this is perfect because that's probably going to be like that on steroids if I do this frozen uh, 50. I've never done anything that distance and I've never done anything in that condition combined. So I thought it was the perfect one. And it was relatively local. It's like an hour and a half drive from my place. So, uh, you know, if I was crawling over the finish line by my lips, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have far to drive home <laughs> collapse. 
And now, how, how long did you train for this? Uh, it, it, it's, there's not the same sort of like, people when they when they do an Ironman. They say, oh yeah, you have to train for a year. You have to train for two years. You did six months. There was definitely a time built in that period. Yeah, it's about three months. Three okay. months. Three months uh, preparation for that. And uh, I was splitting it up uh, between like uh, my tempo runs, which mm-hmm. you know during a week was very short. You know, I'd run for about two hours uh, mostly on average. So it'd be an hour like on a Tuesday, hour on a Thursday. Uh, combined with a tempo run or intense runs. And uh, then I would have like my longer, slower run on a Saturday or a Sunday. Okay. And were you still doing some triathlon style training? You still swimming in there? You yeah, still yeah, biking? yeah. Yeah, I'm still Keep doing that right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. so still doing, you know, not as much. Uh, uh, but yeah, definitely swimming like once a week, cycling twice a week uh, because it was winter here, mostly indoors on my Watt bike. Mm. So now... You're about a year into the triathlon training and the kind of endurance training. How has that changed the way you lift or has it changed the way you lift? Um, it, it did in the beginning. The way that I was lifting in the beginning was definitely to accelerate my preparation for the Ironman. So I was doing a lot of unilateral work, a lot of balance work, a lot of BOSU ball work, core stability. But I feel like I'm a lot stronger and stable in those areas now. So I've gone uh, back to much more conventional bodybuilding, powerlifting, sort of lifting now, very, very simplistic. That's exactly what, you know, I was Mm. doing just before I came here onto the podcast, actually, Mm -hmm. because I feel that I'm stable in those areas. Like when I'm out running on these trails, I don't feel like I'm on a couple of skinny ankles that are about to roll over. I feel a lot stronger now. Yeah, I remember that in one of your Man of Iron videos, you said, you know, if anybody's watching right now, their their mind is blown seeing Chris Gethin back squat, you know, just a, one plate on there on the BOSU ball. Mm-hmm. But you feel like that really did pay off. Uh, maybe even just, I don't know, just pure weak links. Like people think about it. Oh, yeah, this is um, stability training. But you, you seem like you have a different perspective on that maybe than you used to. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, we, I'd laugh at people on the BOSU balls, mm-hmm. you know, balancing on the medicine balls right. and everything. But there's definitely a power to it. Uh, because, you know, I do have very skinny ankles. I've, I've torn a tendons in them like six or seven times. And when you've got a heavy upper body and you've got these skinny ankles, of course, you're going to have to strengthen them. So I found that doing a lot of the BOSU ball works and, you know, working like on a, a balancing ball and the balance mats and doing rotations on my ankles and all these things that you wouldn't generally put into a bodybuilder's routine mm-hmm. helped so much, so much. And it, and it, the reaction to it was very, very quick because I struggled within the first couple of weeks. But then after about five or six weeks, I was really getting the hang of it. And it was just my body and my connective tissue conditioning mm-hmm. itself and getting stronger. Mm-hmm. Now, what was, what was your longest training run? Uh, for this, 18 miles. Okay. 18 so- miles. And that was through... That that was when there was several foot of snow down. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, at, okay. at one point, I turned around because I found myself walking through the snow right. instead of running because it was so high. But it was really, really enjoyable. I like mm-hmm. that. You know, I'd psych myself up mm-hmm. for it. It's, it's 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 great though. I mean, it's, it sounds like a, a low volume, relatively low volume yeah. approach. Yeah. Like you look at you look up ultra marathon training programs. Um, most of them will have you running at least four or five days a week. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, there's a, it's, I plugged myself into the ultramarathon uh, community. So I went out with a pulse running group, uh, the, the Dirty Dirty Souls pulse running mm-hmm. group, and went out with them several times. And they were running the Frozen 50. And some of those guys, they would, they would just do 30 miles on a Saturday right. and then possibly 12 miles on a Sunday, mm-hmm. you know. But again, they're smaller than me. They're lighter than me. I have to look at the point where I'm going to have diminishing return. I'm 
going to start losing muscle because, you know, a lot of those guys said, hey, you should come and join us for this 100-mile run that's coming up now. Well, I'm not going to do that because I will wither away. There's no way that I can possibly prepare for that with the amount of volume that is requir- required. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, there's a fine line. Those are those are a mystery to me. I, I've watched people come across the finish line at the 100-mile races. And I remember one, uh, I was looking, I was thinking, wow, this is amazing. There are all these senior citizens out here. This guy's 70. He must be 80. And then I remember looking at the results. They're all 35, 40. It just destroys people, destroys people to run that that (laughs) distance. It's a whole other. Well, I don't know if you've actually looked into, you know, the longevity, the statistics of, you know, these extreme athletes Mm -hmm. and like strength lifters, you know. So if you look at the, you you know, you heard of the telomere, the telomere Mm -hmm. length. Mm -hmm. So obviously if if they look at like, you know, these ultramarathon runners, and, uh, you know, Ironman athletes, their telomere length uh, sh- does shorten mm-hmm. quite considerably, but it won't shorten as, uh, you know, it'll speed up that process. So not good for anti-aging, right. that's for sure. But for strength training, it actually assists, it helps blunt that shortening of your telomeres. So, you know, you've got to have a balance. Exercise, of course, is going to be good. Mm-hmm. That's going to be beneficial to you. But it's the, statis- the sadistic workouts that go on for like two, uh, three hours or more. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that uh, really hurt us. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to find that, that balance. You know, I was speaking to Dave Scott the other day, mm-hmm. six mm-hmm. times Ironman World champion, uh, champion, and uh, he was telling me about, you know, several of these uh, top athletes that have heart conditions, you know, they have mm-hmm. irregularity now in their, in their hearts. Sure, sure. And yeah, build, up, build up a lot of scar yeah, tissue there. Like the 50 year old marathon runner that just drops dead one day. Right. Cause mm-hmm. well, and they, they, um, do damage to kidneys, internal organs, things like that. But these are, these are specialists too. Yeah. Um, one, one reason why I find what you're doing completely fascinating is that you're not specializing. It's so people love to set, they, they, people <laughs> love to set elite goals though, and think mm-hmm. that specialization is the only way to get there. And you, almost seem like you define it com- the completely opposite way. I'm going to set an elite goal and I am not going to specialize on it. Yeah, yeah, because I think it's, it's good to just participate in all these things. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. probably walk away with a lot of part- participation medals and uh, mm-hmm. never a winner. Uh, you know, bodybuilding was something that I, I, was, I definitely had that mindset when I was competing in mm-hmm. bodybuilding. You know, I was very, very competitive then. But now, you know, I look a bit further from that because I enjoy the process so much more. Even though I may win a bodybuilding show, doesn't mean that I enjoyed the process. Now I really, really enjoy the process. And I don't care where I come as long as I finish, you know, and do the best that I can possibly do. I'm not comparing myself to anybody. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great And do you point. feel like that, that particular mentality, the, you know, just happy to be there, do you feel like that's been strengthened by participating in these endurance races oh, where it's it's yeah. not about winning because we've written articles where bodybuilders go in wanting to win yeah. and they are devastated when they don't even though only one person can the rest can't so do you feel like this is kind of yeah it's definitely strengthened that resolve because you know you won't you only have to speak to like at the elder statement a uh, statesman and you know people in an, an elderly home and there's a lot of regret that goes there and uh, i think a lot of people that just put all their eggs into one basket and come second or third and then fall into a depression because of that, they'll look back on their lives and go, wow, I missed a lot of that process and a journey. And when I see people that participate in these endurance events, yeah, you've got people in their 50s, 60s, 70s participating. Mm-hmm. I want to be one of those guys. Yeah, they don't I care want... if they walk. They're just out there to finish. Exactly. Yeah. And they're having such a great time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's a lot of benefits that can be done and you can really improve your longevity by you know not going to the extreme 
but just participating and enjoying the process. And okay. so, uh, you know, so let's get into the day of the race then, right? Um, what what were you expecting out there after having you know you've done your your Ironman, you've done a couple of half marathons, I think, up to that point, or yeah. at least one. Yeah. What were you expecting going out there, and um, what what is that what does the ultra marathon scene feel like out there? Okay. Uh, well, actually, I, I had uh, I I had been out there. I went out to the track just before, so I take it back when I said my furthest run was eighteen miles. It was actually twenty miles because I went and run the twenty mile loop oh, of that. You did that. A That's couple of months scouting. before, mm-hmm. there's a couple of guys that were going out there that I they posted online, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Great, let me tag along," and uh, went out and did the 20 mile portion. But the conditions were relatively bad then. It was quite wet. It was cooler. There was some snow down. Um, so the day of the race, it was nice. It was dry. It was sunny. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. There were some slippy bits on the last portion, mm-hmm. so it was a lot nicer than I anticipated. So I'd worked myself up into, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough because it had been raining that week. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to have my crampons, you know, and uh, be really wrapped up and ready for the conditions. Uh, but it wasn't that way. So it was really nice. You know, we got there about five or six, six o'clock in the morning or something. And there was a, you know, a huge setup there. You know, they had campfires around there and it was just a real good atmosphere. You know, no, but relatively not like in the Ironman. <laughs> uh, yeah. Relative. Yeah. So like, <laughs> You know, because like the the ultra marathon community is very small. Mm-hmm. It's very small. Uh, but when you see, you know, about a hundred people get together, that seems huge uh, for an ultra marathon event. And it is, you know, in relative terms. And you know, before an event, people are normally nervous and they don't really talk to each other. Completely opposite. Everyone's there for each other. Everyone's helping each other out. And you know, somebody knew that I was obviously participating because I'd brought the train magazine with me on the cover to sign. And oh, really? Yeah. And and it was just a real good atmosphere. And I, I couldn't wait to get on the start line then. And, uh, you know, and get things started off. And I started off a little bit fast Mm -hmm. because I think I was caught up in the atmosphere a little bit much. And you've got so many people running out the gates. But I I really, really enjoyed it. And I took, you know, really took it in and made sure that I was aware and I acknowledged pretty much every mile of that race. I wanted to remember that, you know, and just enjoy the view and the sky and Mm -hmm. And, mm, uh, I feel like Chris is rubbing it in a little bit here because uh, I was supposed to do the 20 mile race <laughs> and I chickened out because I heard there was mud out there. I just completely like I love the cold. I, I love I can run in snow all day, um, but the mud I just fucking hate. <laughs> and then you get out there and it's beautiful. It's dry. Yeah. It makes me feel awful. <laughs> it, it, it was it was crazy, Nick, because at one point. Um, I remember messaging my girlfriend and saying, look, you see if anybody's got any suntan lotion, I'm going to burn out here. Mm-hmm. Honestly, couldn't believe it. And this was January, started January in Idaho. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So then you said, you, I, I, I watched the video. There's a great video that you did, a little 12-minute video on YouTube that's where, you know, you've got your camera and you're talking through it a little bit. And you say, yeah, you got your balls handed to you, I think, in mile four. That's only mile four of... Yeah. 30-ish. Yeah. Uh, how did that feel compared to mile 15, mile 20 as you go on? How, how did this experience stack up? Uh, the, you definitely, mile four was harder than mile 10 probably mm-hmm. uh, because there's, uh, I think it's like 4,000 feet of elevation in the first eight miles. Mm-hmm. And um, just less, I think it was like six days before, I just had a crazy leg workout with a couple of IFBB pros who had Abiad. 
And we went all out. You know, I, I thought I should hold myself back a little bit, but I thought, no, I can't. Same thing at the Iron Man, though. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And I knew that I was feeling a little bit of the rep- repercussions, especially in my calves going up the hill. And, uh, you know, I was struggling a little bit. I was getting lactic acid buildup, and there's just no opportunity to get rid of that lactic acid buildup. And I think I'd gone a little bit fast out of the gate. So then I just started pacing things and slowing things down a little bit. You know, it didn't get that much easier, but it got a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. But I think it was, you know, just caught up with the adrenaline rush and the heart rates going through the roof. Right. And uh, I think it was just getting caught up in that a little sure. bit much. And mm-hmm. maybe I carb load a little hard mm-hmm. to begin with, so I was still trying to digest my foods. That's one of those things, though, about a marathon uh, or, or an ultramarathon opposed to a marathon or an Ironman. Those happen in very closed courses where... Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you can you can dial in your watch. You can say, "I'm going this fast." When you're out there in the hills, there's there's no math to it. It's it's up to you to really find the balance. It's a whole different experience. Yeah, you can't buy go buy like your watch or your heart rate monitor or anything like that. It has to be very intuitive. Mm-hmm. You know, can you keep up this pace for the next thirty miles right. with this elevation and not really knowing how much elevation is to uh, come ahead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the conditions, you know, yeah, they were relatively dry, but those areas that it was wet, mm-hmm. you know, mainly on, on the flats, thankfully. But like when you get that mud, all start clogging up on the mm-hmm. bottom of your feet. It's like you've just added another three pounds to each feet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with that repetition of cadence, you know, it all adds up. Right. Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card, and after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa, so I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com rewards for full program details. Now, you talked about um, with long-distance running, and at some point you have to become lighter to be more efficient at long-distance running. And um, when you put on muscle and you have to carry that extra muscle running, I mean, it makes a huge difference in your stride. So talking to our listeners, maybe someone who does have a lot of muscle and is considering getting into distance running, how you know what were kind of your lessons that you learned, either the hard way or however, you know, in how to carry that much muscle with you when you're running and running these long distances. Yeah, it is definitely a double-edged sword because (laughs) when you're running that distance, being bigger than the average person, you also have to carry more fluid and more food. Mm -hmm. So you're carrying another extra five pounds or whatever (laughs) on top of that. Um, So, you know, you have to take that into account that not only are you going to be carrying your muscle, you're going to be carrying a lot more than the average person as well. If they got like 10 liters of water, you'll probably need 20 liters, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Well, not liters, sorry. Uh, If they've got like a liter, maybe two liters. Um, You know, you do definitely perspire a lot more. You know, you're going to have a higher body core temperature, so you'll need to take more fluid, more electrolytes out with you. And if you want to retain your muscle, you're going to have to put some glutamine, some BCAAs within that fluid. But what you'll notice is that um, you will have to take a smaller stride. Obviously, every stride, every plantar flexion out of your foot is going to require more energy being heavier. So the further that stride, the more exertion, the more calories, the more lactic acid, the more oxygen you're going to require as well. So I suggest not thinking as your steps as being as much like a square box, but more of a wheel. So very small steps 
high cadence, you know, low um, impact, low impact, forefoot striking, you know, ensure that you get that form right before even going for the miles. So if I started running and my form started to completely go, even though I was trying to correct it, that's when I, I would stop. Mm-hmm. until I'd get better. Because much like in the gym, as soon as your form goes, say if you're working chest and then you're starting to work your triceps and your shoulders, there's no point. Just stop there. Don't injure yourself. And it's the same with the running. You know, your form will collapse if you're heavier in the upper body. Uh, you start to fatigue. Your diaphragm collapses and you start leaning forward. Your posture goes, you, you know, you start dragging yourself and you can possibly get injured. Sure. Now, having done a couple of these longer distances, do you did you ever feel a point at the race when you had an advantage having the extra muscle? Was there... Um, not in the run, not in the run. No, for sure. Like if, um, I'd say, you know, you'd have the advantage possibly mentally because you're used to pain. You chase pain in a gym, you're trying to embrace it. And, uh, you know, so you're trying to find that long lost partner again and again and again. So when it does come to you in a race like this, it's like, okay, now we're just going to be partners for the next I don't know, two, three hours or so. <laughs> Me and uh, pain out there yeah, on the course. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's very, you know, there's a lot of pleasure to be find, found in it, uh, you know, but you, you, you're used to it. So I think, you know, from somebody who hasn't embraced that as much, you do have a slight advantage there. Like when I was doing the Ironman, I had the advantage on the bike going down the hills because of my weight. Sure. But j- that wasn't the case running down hills being heavier. <laughs> no. You know, too much pressure on the knees. So, but with uh, with pain and suffering uh, out there, did this um, did this give you your fix? How, how did oh, this yeah. compare? Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of pain. Yeah. A lot <laughs> of pain out of this one. Because this, this race was uh, very unforgiving because there's not much flat until you get to the last 10 miles. Mm-hmm. Everything was either up or down. So after running for the first eight miles up, I was thinking, God, I can't wait to go down. And then after running six miles down, I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't wait to go up. You know, because you're getting so much pressure, first of all, through your calves, your hamstrings, your glutes, your lower back. Mm -hmm. Then going down the hill after six miles, uh, your quads and your knees Mm -hmm. are just taking it. So, um, you know, that it wasn't very forgiving. But then the last 10 miles, which should have been easier, uh, wasn't that easy on me because I made a rookie mistake. And that was to stop at the aid station for about 12 minutes, I think. Right. This, this is a unique course where you do it one big loop, you come back to your car, basically, yeah. and then you do a 10-mile loop. Yeah. And there, there are basically two races. There are some people who just run the 20, just run the 10. Yeah. I, I, I wondered, yeah, I saw you there in this video, you're eating a pancake, you're sitting down, looking comfortable. <laughs> But it's pretty hard Uh-oh. to get that train moving again, man. Yeah, it was <laughs> tough. But the thing is, I, I I had a lot of trouble. I don't know why. I'd never really had this before. I had a lot of trouble keeping my calories down. And I know from the elevation, and I had my heart rate monitor, my watch, I could see how many calories I was going through. And by the time I'd got to uh, mile 20, I think I'd gone through 8,000 calories. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I have to start getting more in me or I'm just going to bonk here. So I thought, right, when I get to mile 20, I'm going to have to really feed up. Mm-hmm. i got to get these calories in me. And so I did. <laughs> and uh, and then when I got to move again after about 12 minutes, it's like rigor mortis had just set in my body. Mm-hmm. I just could not get my legs to move. I felt like I was walking on bloody stumps. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they just didn't get working. 
and after then, you know, properly. And in hindsight, I should have just ate whilst walking. Mm -hmm. And uh, that would have been absolutely fine. And I think that would have been much better for me. Mm -hmm. But, you know. Yeah you, yeah, you talk about bonking. It's interesting. That's, that's a major difference between like a half marathon and a marathon or ultra marathon. You can fully go through glycogen stores mm -hmm. you you can like they say they say that the human body has about 17 miles worth of glycogen at any given time mm -hmm. you can your, your your fueling strategy really does matter a lot more in a long race like oh for this, sure especially know. being a bigger person mm -hmm. you know if i you know when i've gone out you know, doing the ironman training with some other athletes who are just eating a couple of bars and gels mm -hmm. at that time i've gone through like five pancakes two meals a couple of waffles three bananas, eight dates, you know, mm -hmm. just to ensure that I can continue going because, you know, the muscle requires a few more calories just to maintain itself. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're going up hills, you know, the wattage, the amount of power we have to exert compared to somebody who's lighter is a lot more. So, yeah, when you put that into a trail running event where you have so much more elevation and declines and mm -hmm. various terrains, you know, requires so much more hydration and uh, and calories and, and the weird thing is when I was hydrating as well I went through two four I think it was like six and a half liters uh, by the time I'd mm. got to mile 20 and I hadn't and I, I hadn't peed once yeah. wow. I was just sweating it <laughs> just all out it, sweating yeah. it all out yeah that was a bit Pretty of a worry never had that yeah did you see anyone out there with the with the poles yeah, quite a few people with the poles, actually. Yeah. I almost told you beforehand you yeah. should probably bring poles. Yeah, I couldn't, I, I don't think, like, I, I don't like things in my hands. Like, I don't even like running with a water bottle in my hand. I'm just like that, you know, I don't want my phone in my hand, nothing. Yeah. Just one of those guys. Sure, and, no, and I, I'm, the, I'm the same way, but um, but once you once the distance goes up and you start going up and down those hills, I feel like the difference is just in your lower back. Like, because going up and down those hills, your lower back, it's so damn sore and the poles just keep you that much more upright yeah. that's the only reason that i would recommend you know you're yeah. right there because uh i remember going up some of those hills after and i would stop up one of those hills just to look at the view for just like 30 seconds and that was only because my lower back was just giving out mm -hmm. right you know just to stand up straight and uh and get moving again hmm. so so now the the, uh, the iron man took you somewhere around 15 hours or something right yeah. This was about half that. Yep. Um, so you still had plenty of time left in the day. What, what did you do with the rest of your day? Did you just go back and have a wonderful meal or how did I, you reward yourself? After yeah, this? I went straight for, like I had uh, food waiting for me. Like I'd had quite a, food, a lot of food out there at that aid <laughs> station at mile 20. And then I ate quite a lot when I got back. And then um, as soon as we left there, we went to a sushi place mm -hmm. in Eagle, and I had like three meals of sushi. <laughs> just, oh, nice. I just wanted to get my calories in. And I'd, when I got home, I'd still lost like seven pounds. That's what I miss about the distance running is you can eat anything. Oh, but yeah. it, it, it tastes amazing. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, the, any I, I can have a beer any day I want, but a beer at the end of one of those... Mm -hmm. Tastes so good. Yeah, everything. Oh. Yeah, the, the <laughs> senses are heightened. Right. No end. Uh -huh. No end. You know, if anybody was cooking something 16 miles away, I'd probably smell it. <laughs> but it's funny at those aid stations, like when I got to the mile 20, I didn't eat anything at the aid stations, by the way. I just had my own food mm -hmm. and I had my stuff waiting in one of those bags there. Uh, but at the aid station, you know, they did have like bacon. You know, and uh, they had uh, like M&Ms and they had chips and all that stuff. One of the funny things that I, I, I thought, 
you'd never see this at an Iron Man event. They had alcohol there as well. They had oh, some whiskey, they? had um, some whiskey, tequila. There's some people in like, uh, you know, the Hawaiian costumes. Uh-huh. Everybody was so funny. But I was thinking, that is the last thing I want right now. I'm trying to finish this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. I don't know, maybe it's to bait the pain. Yeah, I think that's- That so, might be yeah. it, yeah. There's a famous half marathon that they do in town here, the, uh, the Roby Creek one. And at the mm-hmm. summit, they used to always- have shots of tequila and cigars. Wow. And I don't think they do that anymore, but it was a classic part of it. And then I walked that race with my sister one year and I just chewed on this cigar the whole way down. And I thought it was a shot of, a shot of tequila and a chewing on a cigar. I, I feel like it helped. Like just blunt the pain yeah, a little it bit. it could you do. Know? Yeah, you could be enjoying it so much more even though you're in agony. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah mix that take, with some painkillers and who knows. Off, in, in certain states, there's other things that, they use for painkillers. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, my, my, my concern with that has always just been, I imagine those people getting lost because people get lost on these courses sometimes anyway. You're out there in canyons. You have to make choices one way or the other. If you're if you're high, you're, your choices uh, could get a little less. I did get lost. Did you? Did there, you really? Yeah, for about a mile. Mm. I got lost. I thought, wow, I can't see any more of these little green flags. Must be going the wrong way. So I turned around. Luckily, I did because I had gone the wrong way. Mm. And in, as you know, when you're training for these things, a lot of it is just exploration. Yeah. Right. You're just exploring. That's the best way to explore. Yeah. Or the best way to train. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But there's so many times that I've got lost, which is okay because I end up doing many more miles than I'd anticipated. So mm. that's okay. I clocked it up. But then after a while, because realizing I'm not one that likes to do these out and backs. I like to find a loop. Mm-hmm. So then I got a, 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 I signed up for the premier version on Strava mm-hmm. so I could put out a beacon. So I'm sending out a beacon to my mum in Wales. Funny, she loves that. She'll, <laughs> let, she'll go on the computer to see where I am then. And I'll send one, one, one to my girlfriend because who knows where I'll end up. Right. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, you just have to sign up. It's just a couple of bucks. You oh, know? Okay. But so so then, if you got too far off course, then your, your mom could uh, alert somebody to come rescue yeah, you? Yeah, if I that. haven't got back. You know, so at the beginning, if I think, okay, I'm going to go out somewhere that I've never been before, mm-hmm. and I could be out there for 15 miles, I'll send a beacon message then to like my father, my girlfriend. You can send it to several people, and they'll all get it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then they can see where you are and when you're expected to get mm, back. Interesting. Now, now um, with with the Ironman program, you also really consistently tracked your body composition, start and finish, um, different health markers, different fitness mm-hmm. markers. Did you do any of that with this one? Or even, did you even just feel different after really throwing yourself into into the style of running a little bit more than in the past? Yeah, um, I didn't I didn't check any stats. Mm-hmm. I didn't, but I definitely lost some muscle on this one. But there's a several variables uh, as to why I did. Like I went vegetarian for two months, mm-hmm. completely vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And for one of those months, I was fasting five days a week. So, you know, I went um, to the doctor. Fa- fasting five or fasting two? Five days a, five week, days a week for a month. Oh, okay. For a month. It was intermittent fasting. So oh, okay. uh-huh. I'd have a eating period. Uh, uh-huh. Like I would fast from, say, eight o'clock in the evening mm-hmm. until about six o'clock the following evening. Mm. And then I'd eat. You know, it's healthy. You know, I you know I'd pretty small window. Break my fast. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just have a couple of meals and then off to bed again. Oh, okay. You know, and uh, like I'd break my fast with uh, some raw vegetable, some cooked vegetables, then raw vegetables, then my protein, then my carbs, and my fats. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hadn't missed a meal in 19 years. So um, I had a colonoscopy. Just had a check. And I had to fast before that. And I thought, okay, well, I've researched a lot about fasting. Mm-hmm. Very interested to see what it's all about. I like to back up, you know, my knowledge with mileage. So I, I gave it a go for mm-hmm. four weeks and uh, I enjoyed it. It was nice 
not a meal prep. Right. Isn't it was it? nice to leave the house <laughs> and not freak out because I'm having a meal with me. So I think it actually brought my cortisol levels down because I wasn't so paranoid. Was that, but, but did it stress you out at first? I it mean, did. I, it I did. imagine the first couple of weeks would no, be. No, no, I'd say the first three days. Oh, really? That's yeah, it. you know, but yeah. then I thought, you know, I just, again, it all comes down to changing your perspective, isn't it? You know, so I was thinking, look, I'm not dying here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to starve to death. I'm not one of these people that could be in a third world country who doesn't know what they're going to uh, be eating. I'm okay. You know, I'm fine with this. It was just hard on leg day, you know, train legs. Oh, it requires so many yeah. calories. So then I'd get right. very lightheaded mm-hmm. after. But then, it, you know, the body's a wonderful thing. It would adapt. And mm-hmm. I, I was enlightened by it because it was just another form of discipline that mm-hmm. could transcend into another area of my life. So I think the combination of that and the vegetarian and I still weight training and the running. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask, why vegetarian? Um, I do it once a year. Okay. I go once once a year, normally for about four weeks though. Mm-hmm. And uh, this time I just thought I'd do it for two months because my girlfriend said, who's pretty much vegetarian mm-hmm. majority of the time, she said she uh, wanted to do it up until Christmas. I said, I'll do it until Christmas. And guess who broke? She did. Oh. And she's mostly vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I, I kept it up till Christmas Day. And uh, had some turkey on Christmas Day, you know. Uh, but I do that, you know, once a year. I like to, you know, just remove a lot of stress that I put on my body with the digestion of red meats. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I like to clean house every it's now and again. cleansing, yeah. Yeah. So I've actually implemented the fasting now. So I do it once a week. I do it every Sunday on a non-training day. So I go high fats on the one non-training day and low carbs. And then the following day, I go, I fast. Mm. And, it, and it's working great as part of this muscle building phase I'm going through right now. You know, mm-hmm. it helps get, I think, you know, remove yourself of a lot of the unwanted, undigested proteins from right. the week. So then when you do start eating clean, I feel that, you know, the, you're able to synthesize and absorb and you get the higher uh, response of muscle protein synthesis from it. Well, from the research that I've done on it, because I intermittent fast as well, it's very good for your endocrine system. Yeah. It kind of lets your hormones reset and rebalance, and more and more research is coming out that it's, you know, hormones are so key for your body composition, for your mood, for everything, really. And that's yeah. that's where I felt the difference is, like, it just resets your body each yeah. time. Yeah, for sure. So. And they, they say, you know, that the studies have shown as well for anti-aging, <laughs> it's, it's great as well. So, uh, you know. I do it. So now... Um, that's a pretty small window. Does that mean you were training fasted on a on a regular basis? Then? Yeah, yeah, okay. I did a couple of longer runs. Uh-huh. Well, you know, when I'd say you know longer runs, like eight, like ten miles, I was doing it fasted. You mm. know, and I may have trained earlier in the day as well. Right, because even a lot of intermittent fasting people um, still say, "Oh no, ne- never train fasted. Always, always train in your window." How uh, how was that experience? Like you say, you got a little little lightheaded, but was it a, was it a pretty rude awakening? It was a rude awakening, but, you you know, you just adapt to it. It's like, you know, you, you get very hungry to begin with. You know, your ghrelin hormones, you know, release itself and they protest. Uh, but then after about three hours, they just go, okay, he's not listening to me. So I'll, I'll, this hunger will just go away. So it's the same thing. You get very lightheaded for a little while and you think, God, am I going into some sort of, you know, uh, glycolic to carb coma here? Uh, but then after about an hour of that lightheadedness, you know, trying to run your way back to the Jeep. Um, you know, you, you get back to the Jeep. And I'm like, oh, I'm okay now. I'm mm-hmm. fine. It's okay. But, you know, at any point that I did feel really, really bad, then I would just break that fast just with salad, mm-hmm. lettuce, 
cucumber. That's the option. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it was a controlled fast. I'd still have my glutamine and my BCAAs. Okay, you know? so you're still having leucine BCAAs in there because that's, that's in my that, drink. That can that's be a little controversial for yeah, some people. Of course, yeah. yeah. I'm not fanatical. Mm-hmm. I do it controlled. <laughs> I do it my way. You know. Okay. But I was just only having liquids. You know, I'd have a. You know, like if you have a herbal tea, that is breaking your fast right. in conventional form. But I'll have a herbal tea. Mm-hmm. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the. Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mm. Coffee breaking your fast? Yes, it is even decaf. Anything other than water <laughs> is breaking your fast. I mean, yeah, depending on who you ask. Like we, we we've had um, um, one researcher into it, and that guy just drinks coffee all the time. You know, he'll do massive fasts, day. but mm-hmm. um, but loves coffee. But his stance was, yeah, no, no BCAAs, mm-hmm. but you can drink you know five pots of coffee. Right? <laughs> it makes sense because it still releases uh, the bioflavonoid hormones mm-hmm. that, that that break that fast. What makes me laugh, though, is that you'll have some people have a bulletproof coffee. Right. I got like 500 calories there, and they still think they're fasting. Fasting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have to ask you about your supplement company, Cage Muscle, and with this new kind of direction that you're going in with all these endurance sports, is that changing kind of the way you're looking at supplementation, or has that affected kind of some of your your ideas for things coming down the line or – the caged ultra blend? Is that what you're saying? Is it, is it coming? <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's like, what can the I... iron uh... cage? Yeah. You know what? Not really. Not really. You know, what astounds me more than anything is that people from these endurance communities don't take much time and consideration, consideration to research mm-hmm. how beneficial supplementation or nutrition could be for them. Instead, they're researching what is the best new wheel to put on their bike right. or the best new trainers that, or the gadget that they can put on their wrist. Uh, which I find is just astounding. It's prehistoric. But, you know, I think the same supplements, whether it be a BCAA, mm-hmm. um, you know, your, your glutamine, your protein, very light, fast-digesting BV proteins, they all have benefits. Mm-hmm. The only thing if I was to implement something or bring something in is a carbohydrate drink. But cage muscle won't bring something out unless we believe it can be the best in market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Vitargo is fantastic. So Vitargo S2 out there is an awesome carbohydrate. Until we can bring out something better than that, there's no point us bringing something out, to be honest with you. So uh, I think we've got everything needed. You know, we have we got a testosterone booster about to come out. We've got a multivitamin about to come out. We've got an isolate. Mm-hmm. You know, other than that, you know, I had all the supplements I needed for both of these events, you know, it wasn't as if I had to go out there and purchase anything else other than a Vitago. Mm-hmm. So it's more that you have to change marketing so that you're actually targeting some of these. Yeah, yeah, it, it'd be the verbiage really for sure. You know, when I'm, I've got a column in a couple of magazines mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm talking about the benefits of, uh, you know, for instance, branched chain amino acids mm-hmm. in a different way, you know, uh, for the benefits of not for repairing yourself after a massive bench press and a stress that you've placed upon yourself, but it's a little bit more of your central nervous system because, you know, they'll use their heart rate variability uh, when to take a day off. 
But if they'd been taking their glutamine and branched-chain amino acids and been better with their food and their hydration, they probably wouldn't have to take a day off. They wouldn't have to be as overtrained. They overtrain or can overtrain very, very easy. And that's only because they undernourish themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for, for many endurance athletes, supplementation begins and ends with carbs. You talk about Vitargo. Well, they, mm-hmm. may, they may know that, and that's, that's the extent of it. Yeah. But yeah. protein is... Yeah, well, just think how many amino acids that you're going to release into your mm-hmm. into your blood system, you know, when you're under that amount of stress. Your body's under a huge amount of stress, you know, nervous fatigue and, you know, free radical damage. So I do like to, you know, supplement and take and eat a lot of antioxidants during phases like that, you know. There's a lot of oxidative stress and, again, another aging process that I want to stay away from. Sure, sure. So what's... What's next then? What's uh, what does the yeah. year to come look like? Well, I've, I'm I'm going through a muscle building uh, phase now for another video series. So packing on a lot of mass, but still continuing mm-hmm. with my cycle, running, swimming. Uh, but I have entered uh, the Ironman at uh, Tempe, Arizona. I've, I've entered for the half in October and the full in November. And also myself and Alex Viada are supposed to be doing like an ultra Ironman event distance mm. wow. that is going to be completely self-supported in uh, Yellowstone National Park where, you know, there's uh, a lot of privatization going on with national right. parks at the moment. So we want to raise awareness and funds. Mm-hmm. And we figured Yellowstone would be perfect for that. So basically we so will- Just the two of you. Just the two of us. Like it. And, you know, we will take all of our trash with us. We won't leave a footprint there. Uh, so- we will begin with the swim, you know, pulling a dinghy mm-hmm. with our bike, with mm-hmm. our running gear, with our food, everything. And then when we get to the bike section, we will pack that into a backpack, you know, put the bike together and cycle uh, our distance. And then we will have to put all that together into a pack wow. and run the So what, the are the, what are the distances here? You said this is an ultra. Yeah, so we, know it's, we don't know yet, but we know it's going to be further than an Ironman. You know, we have no idea what that distance is. We're still measuring out the course details. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be in August. But again, this is I've got surgery in, I think it's going to be April or May. So it's all dependent on my recovery. I've had a couple of torn tendons mm-hmm. in my uh, rotator cuff uh, for about a year now. Mm. And there was a bit of hindrance when I was swimming for the Ironman. Sure. And uh, I thought that I may have been able to fix it. I thought, oh, I can rehab this thing. And then when I had an MRI in December, they said, oh, you got two tendons that are torn in it. That's why it won't repair itself. Mm. So I have to have surgery. I should have had surgery then, but I thought I'll make it a part of this video series that I'm shooting right now to show people you can build muscle. You can train around some injuries. You just have to be smart and I'll show you how. Mm. So so at this... Um this ultra triathlon that you're doing, are you thinking you might use trails rather than roads on it? Or? Yeah, as much as possible. Yeah, I want to do trails. It's a pretty unique event. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll be I good. You know, the bike will be road. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, but there's a couple of areas that uh, Alex has looked at and he said there's great lookouts there. That would be awesome for mm-hmm. photo opportunity. And I've had to pull him back a little bit because I'm like, Alex, you know how heavy we are and we're going to be right. carrying all this kit and you want to run up to some peak to take some pictures too. Let's just try to finish this thing, buddy. Let's get a drone. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, he, he does hit on something essential, which is going to a view. Like you, this, this race that you just did, you went up to the, to the highest point in the area. Mm-hmm. That helps. 
Yeah, yeah, it it does, you know, because it helps you appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, what you're actually doing as opposed to thinking, why am I doing this? So then you look at it and think, God, I'm one of the very few people in the world that has this opportunity. I'm going to take it in. So I do understand that point. You just have to remind yourself as you're just coughing up blood, mm-hmm. trying to get up there. <laughs> well, we'll be watching every step of the way as, as well as we can. We'll have to have you on again, possibly for a fourth one. Yep. Yeah. The Chris Gethin podcast here. Yeah, let's see if I can live through this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Chris Gethin's easy to find. He's on Instagram and YouTube and every place else. I'm a social whore, baby. You'll find me. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming in. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.